Welcome to episode two of the Phases of the Moon Knight podcast. Uh, if you're new or returning each week, you know we will read a stack of classic Moon Knight comics and then get together to talk about characters, villains, stories with an eye towards how these stories may connect to the Disney Plus Moon Knight show that's coming out later this year. We'll also be discussing comic history, comic reading, and just other general Moon Knight news. Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at some of Moon Knight's earliest solo appearances, talking about how backup stories work in comics, that's new to me, and discussing how changes in the creative team can make or break a character. My name is Dwayne, and I'm joined by Dan. Hello there, everyone. Good to be back. Excited to go over these. These were definitely a change from last week, so why don't you share with us uh, what this, what was on the stack this week? Sure. This week, what we're doing is actually moving into a uh, slightly different format, as well as some newer books, because all of the comics that we're going to be looking at this week were actually printed in magazine form, like the glossy newsstand magazines that Marvel and Harris and other publishers put out um, to the 70s, 80s, even a little bit later that in some cases. Moon Knight was a backup feature in the Hulk glossy magazine uh, from issues 11 through 20, with a couple of exceptions. He wasn't in 16 and he wasn't in 19. But other than that, he had a run as a backup feature there that spanned three separate stories we're going to look, uh, look at. And then also Marvel previewed number 21, which really in a lot of ways functions as a an initial pilot for the Moon Knight series that then ended up coming out later that year. So a lot of really good stuff. I like these stories a lot. This is the sort of stuff that made me sort of fall in love with the character in the first place. So I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, let's start with the first kind of story arc, which is the Hulk issues from 11 to 14. Why don't, why don't you go through and tell us a little bit about what happens in the in that story. Sure. So each of these is they're backup stories, but they're still a relatively um, relatively long story. So this is a substantial storyline that we go through with a lot of twists and turns. To start out with, Moon Knight discovers conspiracy to steal an ancient statue of the Egyptian god Horus. He's led to a source. Eventually, kind of through a number of turns and twists, leads him to a wealthy collector. While he's doing that, Marlene then decides to try and help him, ends up getting in some trouble, needing to be saved. Numbers of members of the gang try to steal the statue, a lot of people end up dying, and Moon Knight finally ends up going to a fancy party as Stephen Grant so that he can negotiate with the Ambassador of Chile, who we find out is the one who's actually behind it all. <laughs> the statue, though, that sort of ends up being just the first part of the problem, uh, because he finds out that the statue really is just being used as a negotiating tool uh, by terrorists who need to get money so that they can um, create a nuclear bomb and extort millions of dollars from New York. Uh, Moon Knight then infiltrates those terrorists dressed as Mark Spector, ends up fighting another Moon Knight who's been sent by a shadowy figure called Lupinar, who we find out is the one who's actually, actually behind it all. And then that other Moon Knight's killed in the fight by terrorist bullets. Uh, MK takes his place um, Moon Knight wanders back to Lupinar's lair, uh, ends up sword fighting him because Lupinar decides that's the way that the, the story should end. The, the, the uh, gentlemanly way to do it. 
Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he's It's kind of the way he wanted it all along was to end up with a fight against Moon Knight. And then, meanwhile, Frenchie leads the cops to the terrorists. Cops come in, arrest them, find what they think would have been an actual functioning bomb, and uh, sort of clean up the case. But so Moon Knight saves the city of New York for the first of a number of times over the next few years in this one. So, what did you think, Dwayne? This, this was a really interesting and and like actually kind of put together story i guess it it felt like like it i don't know it just felt adult i guess more than anything else and it it felt less campy i think maybe than some of the stories that we've seen to this point but i i have to go back to the first question that i i just i don't I don't. I don't get why these are appearing as, as in in Hulk issues. What it, what is a what is a backup story and and why why did these end up here? If is it just to kind of preview a character to try and see if he's commercially viable to be to be on his own? Really, a lot of it comes down to the schedules and the limitations of artists. Uh, one of the problems that they had was the fact that a lot of these magazines end up being, I think they're 40 pages. Some of them are longer than that. And because of the fact, uh, one artist cannot, in a lot of cases, produce enough pages to finish a story in that amount of time. Most artists, if they're doing uh, a relatively reasonable schedule, a sustainable schedule, a lot of them would work on one book a month, get maybe 20 pages in, uh, a few people were able to do more than that, but usually those were some of the the higher uh, paid creators. So when Marvel wanted to put out a bigger book, something that was 40 pages, or sometimes they'd do 64-page books, a lot of those would have reprints in them, but you'd need to have additional artists. And rather than have one story with the art chopped up between multiple artists, because one writer could write a, a story, two, three, four, five stories a month, but it was hard on the schedule of the artists. So what they did instead is you'd have the regular feature would, would be in the front. And then in the back, there would be a smaller feature usually um, that would be produced by a different artist, uh, usually featuring a different character, although not always, that would then be a place where they could either showcase some characters who maybe are popular but not popular enough to hold their own book. When I was young, some of my favorite comics were the backup features there was a i bought flash for years because i liked the dr fate backup story even though i didn't really like the flash comics much at all uh Mm -hmm. so there was this is something that happened at dc it happened at marvel it happened in a lot of places but so the backup comics in a lot of cases really had no relation to the the primary title except that they generally tried to find a character who would still appeal to the same person or the same type of demographic that the main title would, right? That makes sense, yeah. the Hulk was generally a character who was, especially in this, it had more of a psychological component with Bruce Banner always trying to control the beast inside and whatever. So I think Moon Knight was a semi-natural fit as someone who also had kind of some different personalities and things like that that he was dealing with, and they were starting to get into some more psychological type stuff. Um, so, but yeah, really the backup feature is just, for the most part, it was a matter of they needed to fill pages 
and sometimes they'd do a reprint. Sometimes they would have hired someone to do a story and just kept it until they needed it. In this case, it sounds like the editor of The Hulk uh, actually was a fan of Moon Knight from the previous appearances and just asked Mensch if he'd be interested in writing something because they needed someone to fill pages. And so Moon Knight comes back and gets a place. And so, and so this story actually takes place with two different writers and artists, right? There was, for the first half of the story, it was it was one a duo of a, a, a writer and, and an artist. And then Mensch and Sienkiewicz took over midway through like 13 and 14 uh appeared to be appeared to be a different had a different look had a different kind of um style to them i think that then carried forward through the rest of the rest of the books and what's interesting is shows how important the artist is mensch is the writer on all of this the writer doesn't change at all and in fact he may have written the entire story before he had an artist attached uh, it really just came down to the fact that the three the three men who did art on these are very, very different folks. Because you have issue number 11 is Gene Colan, who's a spectacular classic artist. He did a bunch of really important Marvel stuff going back into the 60s. Early Daredevil stuff, a lot of early Marvel covers. His Duma Dracula from the early 70s, I absolutely love. Um... Then the second book is by somebody named Keith Pollard, who's a much more sort of traditional artist in number 12. And then from 13 and onward, you get Bill Sienkiewicz. Now, what's interesting there is these are some of his first published pages anywhere. And so his his style is still developing, and you see a lot of things happen there too. But yeah, from the very first page of Sienkiewicz, it's just a completely different world than what you were seeing with the other guys. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful. I, I love these comics. So the, so I, I don't know if we want to talk about this now, but the, the, this week's, this week's episode was a bit of a challenge because these, unlike previous, the previous week, these comics were not in Marvel Unlimited. These were not, um, they, they weren't as easy to find, I think, would be would maybe be the best way of putting it. What, do you want to talk to, talk to that? Absolutely. So I want, I want to get your, and, and I've been through this for decades, uh, so I, I understand your pain. <laughs> how, do, how does it feel to need comic books for the story and not be able to get them? How, how, uh... <laughs> it's a little, a, I mean, I already feel like it's a difficult enough kind of keeping track of what's going on. But if you have a an issue that you just can't get and you're just suddenly relying on that kind of paragraph at the beginning of the story to kind of help bring you up the speed as to what happens, it's it's a bit it's a bit dicey, extremely frustrating. And almost every collector of comics, even in the modern collecting scene goes through this every once in a while where especially if there's a series you discover a little late and you want to go back and find the back issues if they haven't been reprinted if it maybe was a popular series that everything's gone it can it can be really frustrating to find the stories you want and in this case yeah the hulk 11 and 12 especially were 
really difficult. They haven't been reprinted a lot of places. The main place they have been reprinted is in the Moon Knight Epic Collection, which is a reprint volume that came out from Marvel a couple of years ago. But overall, this is this is sort of what we deal with occasionally. And I was I was interested to to sort of have you deal with this. Deal with it once, by the way. Every other comic <laughs> we're going to read for the next 330 issues we've tracked down, and so we never have to deal with this again. But these two, 11 and 12, uh, are, they're, they're white whales, the ones that I could not find in a reasonable time to get them to you. And nonetheless, starting in on issue 13 and with a little bit of a, a background, you're still able to get into the story pretty quickly, right? I mean, Marvel, yeah. the, the comic creators had to do this back in the day. They had that, we've got to be able to make this, that if someone just picks it up off the newsstand for the fun of it, and they don't know the character, they don't know what's going on, they can get into this story and enjoy it. it, it issue 13 has kind of the... the Lupinar has the sidekick smelt that's going through a dossier with, with like slides and that, talking about his you know multiple personalities steven grant he's got it it was it was literally like the exact same thing we were seeing in some of the previous things again because it was let's bring bring these bring new people up to speed as to who this character is especially if they're reading this as a backup story and they've never seen this character before i suppose they definitely needed needed that yeah so but it you know they do that for a few pages and then they get into it and so the, the style of these books, just the look of them, it is extremely modern. You can tell just a tonal shift from some of the stuff we've been seeing. And it's interesting because you'd also kind of, you know, we talked about Hulk. I think it's a good time to note that this is an important distinction is these books are, because of the fact that they are put on the newsstand in a different format, they're not really intended for an all-ages audience necessarily the way that some of the ones we looked at before are. These are being displayed next to the Vampirella books and a lot of the horror um, comic magazines and things like that. So it's a very different audience and it does mean that they're going for a, a different demographic and they've got some different things they can do. That that is very good for for this one of the stories we're going to be talking about here in a little bit because yes. that definitely did not feel very kid friendly. But let's let's quickly <laughs> let's quickly go over uh, the the kind of the solo story uh, issue fifteen that actually did have the Hulk in it. It was it was it was yes. kind of interesting. Let's tell tell us tell us about that story. Sure. So. Issue 15 had two different stories with Moon Knight in it, but one of them only very shortly. It's actually the same story where Stephen Grant goes to visit a, a rich friend of his who's an astronomer, an amateur astronomer, so he can watch a lunar eclipse with him, while the Hulk is sort of wandering through the guy's property. And while the two of these heroes are both there, there's also three guys who decide to rob this guy's place on that particular night. Just terrible Oops. luck for them. Oops. Right? Yeah, terrible <laughs> so, luck. So Stephen Grant's up. He looks through the window. He sees these three guys sneaking to the house. And then he goes out, excuses himself, and says, Oh, I've got a, just a couple of things I need to do. I'll be back before the eclipse, right? Goes out, fights these guys, beats them up. Um, and then as he's doing this, 
he runs into the Hulk, who basically backhands him without even looking at him and knocks him out. And then it was like he misses during, the eclipse. Yeah, it was during the eclipse. The total darkness. He couldn't yes. see him. And then Moon Knight basically gets absolutely clobbered by the Hulk. And is like, I feel like I got hit by a truck. Yep. And, and you don't know what it is. Until you read the second story, which is the the exact same story again, but from Bruce Banner's point of view, correct. And and, and yeah, it was it was very interesting. Yep. <laughs> and then and Hulk gets angry at the moon because it's disappearing, and he's like, "I don't like these weird places where the moon does weird things." And at the end of it, then of course, Moon Knight saved the day. Stephen Grant wanders back, and his friend is all angry at him because he's like, "You missed everything. You missed the." And this is a classic trope. Like Spider-Man, this happens to him all the time. Clark Kent, this happens to all the time. They always, you know, miss everything because they're off doing whatever. So, but that was that was interesting. It was a fun sort of just one-off distraction kind of uh, episode where they actually did decide to tie the backup story into the main story. Um, partly maybe just to kind of you know give people who are mostly hulk fans more of a reason to get into or or bother to read the moon knight backup stories yeah no i i i liked it there was there wasn't a lot to it i mean it it's i think even it's it's both both stories because they they are basically presented as two separate stories but it is the exact same Yep. situation just from two different points of view they're both very quick to get through and 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 it was kind of it was just kind of interesting i think more than anything else just a different way of i guess reading or seeing a story i think more than anything else yeah, but one of the one of the things that did interest me is that it there was a kind of a single reference to the fact that merlene was actually out on a date with somebody else which is one of the reasons he was batching it that's this, right begins to get a little bit of an indication that she's a she is a more independent person within the Moon Knight universe than sometimes you'd have seen from the sort of doting girlfriend and personal assistant that we saw in those first few. And that's yeah, going to continue. Uh, she kind of comes into her own and does a lot of things um, in terms of helping out and, and the like. He he was actually kind of jealous. It kind of felt oh, like he was like, I, so. "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill him if I ever meet him. If I remember, if I, if yep. I remember, like, he's like saying that to himself uh, before he rings the doorbell to to his friends, his friends' mansion." But yep, I I think the most interesting story is the one we're gonna talk about next, which is which is oh, Hulk yeah. seventeen, eighteen, and twenty. This this was. This was something I have to say. I, I, mm-hmm. there is, there is, there was a tone and a tenor for all of the stories that we've had to this point, and this one was completely different. Tell, tell us about Hulk seventeen, eighteen, and twenty. The Hatchet Man. So yeah, this is. I I think there's a case to be made that this is the first true Moon Knight story. Like, this is where you really start to see the character, the way we're going to know him, and and the kinds of stories that we're used to being told with the character. So, what's happening is that nurses are being murdered by someone on the street, um, dubbed the Hatchet Man. And Moon Knight eventually realizes that this killer, and you can tell from his M.O., 
is a mercenary named Rand that he actually used to work with in Italy back in the day. Um, Marlene then, once Moon Knight decides to go out and solve this, says, well, if, if we're not going to go out on our date tonight because you're going to catch the hatchet man, I'm going to get a nurse's uniform from my friend and go out and just sort of see if I can draw him out, right? Um, which doesn't seem like a great <laughs> doesn't seem like a great idea. She's she is very very like tough and determined. Marlene's yeah. a really interesting character. Uh, she was yes. he was he was very against her doing this. By the way, yeah. he, but he, uh, her plot succeeds uh, only too well because he kind of jumps out from uh, an alleyway, catches her. Um, and then Moon Knight's off somewhere, but a couple of cops are there, so they start shooting at him, even though he's got a hostage, and manage to actually shoot Marlene. So she's bleeding, and then he throws her over his shoulder um, and takes off. Moon Knight isn't quite able to reach him in time, but he does chase them. Uh, and as he does, he's flashing back to when this Rand betrayed him in the past, uh, killing his girlfriend Lisa in the process. Uh, we then also learn that Rand is his brother, which is why Mark Spector did not kill him back then. They fight. This time there's a, a well-placed tree branch that actually comes in and, and skewers um, his brother so that Mark Spector does not actually have to kill him, but the danger is gone. Uh, with Rand dead, Moon Knight then hurries back to the hospital. Uh, Marlene at that point is not in good shape at all. She's in unstable condition. They're worried whether she's going to make it through the night. And so he goes out into the city rather than just sort of sit in the hospital, kind of brushes past the, the cops. And this is, number 20 is an interesting issue because it's mostly just him going around from one place to another in the city, sort of watching a couple cabbies interact and one of them punctures the other guy's tire so that he can't take a fare. So Moon Knight punctures his tire in, in return. Um, he, he goes in and sort of tries to help an addict gets in a kind of a dispute between a, a prostitute and her pimp and eventually ends up trying to help out a homeless guy. And it really is just sort of all of this where he's, he's thinking these dark thoughts, he's wandering from place to place, and sort of nothing he does seems to really work that night. He's kind of, he's kind of just lost. Uh, eventually ends up going back to the hospital and we find out that Marlene is actually uh, going to pull through. She's doing better. And that's that's sort of, where, sort of where that story ends. Yeah that that was that was an interest interesting issue. Just completely separate. He, he's basically told she's you know in critical condition, and we're not going to know until morning what if if she's going to be able to pull through or not. So he's basically he doesn't want to go home. He doesn't doesn't really want to do anything. So he's just kind of on the on the streets kind of just killing time until morning and then running into these various people throughout and seeing images of her in the moon and and in various with in uh, on various people and that sort of thing so i i will say i i remembered this slightly different i thought the hatchet man actually used the hatchet on marlene am i am i he did. completely mistaken she did there? she did get hatcheted as well so she okay. was shot. She was shot by the cops, and then he, like, yeah, hatcheted yeah. her in the back as he was running away. 
Yeah, so, and then yeah, yeah. that uh, they basically took off, and it, it was in like Central Park. He did this. He Moon Knight actually gets the cops that were originally shooting at him and that hit her to call an ambulance, and that's how Marlene ends up in the hospital. And as he goes on to continue to chase Rand, but the but it being his brother though that was that was I did not see that coming, and it just sort of wow and and like they're showing shots of Rand in his apartment and it's this runny rundown like dive and he's doing like calisthenics and he's got this mask and it's like the mask is talking to him and he's like talking to himself it felt like the comic book equivalent to watching silence of the lambs in buffalo bill it was it was really really like different and definitely not something i'm like i'm reading through this and i'm like are kids supposed to be reading this? Because this doesn't seem very kid friendly. But yeah, it's, it's even you know, like Taxi Driver almost. I think. Yeah. Another, he's got almost like that kind of a, and the and the short answer is no. And so yeah. I I, in our show notes, you'd actually mentioned that you were wondering about this, and I found it really interesting that you picked up on this, because, from the nineteen forties onward there have been restrictions in place on what comic books can print, essentially. It's a self-censoring censoring through something called the Comics Code Authority that came into place after kind of a, a moral panic that was going on in the, in the late 40s and early 50s. Ended up with a Senate subcommittee hearing and all sorts of problems. But what the final result of it was is that every comic published for most of the 50s, 60s, 70s had a small seal on it that essentially was a promise to parents that there was nothing in there that was inappropriate for children. And what that restricted was pretty substantial. Among other things, up until the early 70s, you couldn't even have mentions of things like werewolves. You couldn't have mentions of things like vampires or anything occult. Um, a lot of the... Really? Yeah, a lot of the, the stronger violence... Um, sexual content, even the way that women were drawn, was all very strongly prescribed by the code. Um, One of the reasons why you have these big glossy magazines is because they don't have to go through the same distribution channel and they don't have to go through the same restrictions. So none of these magazines had the comic code seal on them. Because of that, they weren't presented in the same place on the newsstand. Uh, and they were very much different in terms of what the what was presented. Um, actually, the company that sort of was the, some people would say the, the primary kind of, I don't want to say the reason, because it wasn't their fault necessarily, but EC made a lot of, of magazines that followed public trends and, and interest in things like horror and things like that in the, in the 40s and 50s. And... They actually kind of pioneered this because when the comic book business no longer worked with their publishing model, the publisher of EC just started Mad Magazine and went that direction instead and worked out really well for them. But um, so, yeah, these are totally different in terms of what they can do and what they can get away with. Um, That said, it's still interesting that... Just from a a superhero standpoint, the hero is not supposed to kill people. 
And so we have a lot of people sort of accidentally getting impaled or, you know, blowing themselves up and things like this just because he's still not supposed to kill people at this point. And so they've got to, if they want to, if they want to have that nice closure to the story, they've got to find some way where at the very least Moon Knight is not morally culpable for whatever's happened to the bad guy. So. Yeah, in the in the previous story that Lunaper that they has the sword fight with basically realizes that the the jig is up. The terrorists that he's working with are going to get caught. He's going to get to go to jail, and rather than go to jail, he basically just impales himself on Moon Knight's sword rather than than get arrested. And then yep. that we had we had the well placed tree branch here, where again the guy has the option of basically getting arrested by Moon Knight or committing suicide at the very last minute before the authorities can get in, and and he takes that route instead. I did notice that as well, and I was like, that's really weird. It's it's mm-hmm. it's something, and and even the next story that we're going to talk about, the 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 villain ends up um, killing themselves rather than than, than being arrested, but. Despite the the tonal change, I just the and, and this isn't necessarily like a type of, of of movie or story I'm I'm into necessarily, but this felt really well done and and, and it was the the graphic style of the image the you know the graphic style it, you said this was Bill Sinkevich looked amazing with the story and 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 felt they they felt like a good match and like mm-hmm. if i when you talked about this being kind of the first real moon knight story i could see it because like you could i would this would be something this would be the first story that we've read that i would recommend to somebody to be like this is a cool moon knight story this is this is something you should read because it was just really interesting and and didn't feel like some of the previous stories to me felt like Saturday morning cartoons kind of thing where where you know it was kind of nice there was a little bit of action there was a little bit of story but it wasn't really all that substantive yep. and this this felt engaging this felt interesting this felt like something that I, I want to read more about this character because of those because of those books, which which I think is a huge credit to 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 everyone involved in these books. I would I would say that's exactly spot on, and it's interesting because I think what you really see here is that it's that addition of a a certain creator and a certain character coming together where suddenly you just sort of see the possibilities of the character. And Sienkiewicz, when he came on, one of the things that um, Doug Mensch talked about is that he didn't like the fact that in the first however many stories of, of Moonlight's career, his one of the features of his costume from Don Perlin, who was the original designer, was that his cape clipped on to his arms so that he had this, like, flying squirrel kind of glider cape, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, he used a few times. Yeah, he used it. Too. He used it. He will still he will still do the gliding thing, but he kind of holds on to his cape instead. Um, but what's interesting is that Sinkevich, and I will preface this by saying 
this is one of my favorite artists, period, of all time in comics. He is a, a revelatory talent. And over the next few years, his style becomes something that we'd really hardly ever seen before. And he just blows away everything that's that you'd ever expect of, of comic art in a lot of ways. So he really is somebody special. But everybody's got to start someplace in terms of their style. And it's obvious that Bill Sienkiewicz has read an awful lot of comics by somebody named Neil Adams, who is a comic artist of the 60s and early 70s, who's also one of my favorite all-time. When you look at these books, this could be an early 70s Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman comic. And that's about as high a compliment as you can give a 19-year-old kid doing some of his first stuff, is that right out of the gate, he's able to produce stuff that, you know, even though his style is reminiscent a lot of Adams right now, um, most people at their best could never do what he's doing as a 19-year-old coming out right now, right? You're telling me that the artist behind these books was like 19 years old when... The- Yes. When these came out? He is just getting started. He's very young and... I mean, that's the thing, is that he starts at a point which is better than what most people ever achieve in their career. Yeah. And, then, and then he moves on to something <laughs> far better. Jeez. Right? So, yeah. but it's, it is interesting because these are, in, in their tone, in the way they use shadow, in the way that, really even the way that he has Moon Knight move and the way he uses Moon Knight's cape and everything... There's so much of this that looks just like it's classic Batman from the early 70s. And so that really is kind of interesting and and fun. And I think it's sort of where you start to see them, you know, going, well, okay, he's Batman, but now how's he different? And that's what we're going to see over the next while here when they start to get things moved through. But yeah, these stories are, they're so well done. And... If you like this, the nice thing is that we've got Sinkevich with us for probably the next 30 issues, 25 issues, something like that. So we're going to be we're going to be seeing him for quite a while when when he broke into comics, really Moon Knight was where his style evolved and then he moved on and we're going to see we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. We'll talk a lot more about um, him and, and what he's up to over the next few weeks but eventually he evolves to the demon bear in new mutants and essentially completely blows my mind because he changes everything um and that's that's a while away though so in any case these were these were really fun one one of the other things that i so with these issues because we were reading, I, I was reading them outside of the Marvel app. We talked last week about the fact that I had a little bit of difficulty reading it, reading the issue when it, when I was l- using the full page re- sure. reading through, um, uh, of like the werewolf by night. Some of the, some of the original stuff, the, these were not as difficult to follow and like they felt less wordy than than some of the other mm-hmm. things that we've seen to this point and i i think like even there there was never an a point where i felt like i didn't i wasn't reading things in the correct order which w- was definitely something and there was 
lots of interesting kind of panels sizing and and the way that the page was kind of um for lack of a better word the way the real estate of the page was used i mean it wasn't just you know three panels three panels three panels it was it was you know two and then there was like a a large one that was kind of bisected in like three places and then there was just like it there was a lot of visually interesting things going on in in these issues as well which and and there definitely was a situation there where if if you were newer you could potentially get lost but i did not feel lost at all reading this stuff i always felt like i knew what was going on and that i was reading things in the order they were intended and everything made sense and and it just it looked good too so um yeah that that is correct if you can get these books and you can read this i i would definitely recommend that but why don't we why don't we jump into the last story the from the marvel preview 21 dan tell us about tell us about that one this is another one of the marvel magazines the large size magazines um moon knight actually gets a cover of this one so he is the feature story um and in it, Mark Spector actually gets a body in the mail at the start. Like someone mails him a coffin with a body in it. Turns out it's a corpse of an old friend of his, uh, which is an unfriendly thing to do to someone. Uh, that eventually then, he's like obviously spurred to action by this. So he starts trying to track down who would have done this. It leaves him back to a place called the Ravencloft uh, Asylum. He then proceeds to investigate that, wander around, so he goes off to Paris, fights against something called the Company, uh, with a couple of old colleagues of his who are out for revenge. He meets the brother of an old friend there as well. Uh, that but, brother is then turned into a merciless killing machine. Uh, and yeah, the brother is the brother of the guy the in the corpse. Coffin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, turned into a merciless killing machine. He's got these electrodes in his head. So he's essentially controlled uh, by the company. There's a big fight. Marlene and Frenchie get into the action as well and are helping out in various ways. Uh, and then the killing machine himself dies after ending up dropping an exploding car on himself. So, resolution. And then at the end, we actually have kind of this odd thing where uh, Mark Spector is sitting dictating his, kind of his case notes on it. So, mm-hmm. uh, at that point, there was that idea that he would have sort of this case file that he was keeping track of while he was doing this. Well, I think I think I recall him doing that like once, mm-hmm. once or twice before, but they... They they didn't like. It's been inconsistent. It, there wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. There it wasn't consistent, and I I felt like they did like a whole page or so of this kind of post mortem case note dictation thing, whereas previously it may have been like one or two panels at the at the at the tail end or something that it, it didn't it didn't seem as important as maybe it it felt like it was actually a an important thing in this particular issue. This was, this was an interesting, interesting story as well. I, uh, after, after coming off of the hatchet, man, this was, this was a really kind of interesting and again, well put together story. Very interesting. It felt like a, like a spy thriller sort of 
kind of mm-hmm. story, which which was kind of interesting. He goes to Ravencroft Asylum because the last time he saw his old friend, he was smuggling him into Canada where this Ravencroft Asylum was. So he's like, well, where better to start than by going to the last place I saw him? And yeah, that, that was interesting. Some of the ties, I think, felt a little suspect, but you you could still follow it. And, and it was interesting, that big fight at the end, like you were saying, Marlene and Frenchier, like, you know, fight, fighting as well. They're, they're out there throwing, throwing punches, taking out the, the underlings of this, of this guy. And yeah, it was <laughs> another, another character ends by inadvertently or specifically killing themselves so that Moon Knight didn't have to arrest them or kill him himself. It's interesting too, by the way, that one thing I don't know if you'd noticed, but the you know, those last three issues had much a very gothic feel to them. Um these yeah, have yeah. more of kind of like you said, that spy thriller kind of feel. Right. And what's interesting is all same guy drawing them, but or at least penciling. But there's something called an inker that is used in most comics of the time just to make it faster to produce the art by having a bunch of people working together. Mm-hmm. And the the middle issues, those gothic ones, are actually inked by Klaus Johnson, who is a, he's got a really thick kind of dark line. He worked a lot with Frank Miller later on on things like um, Dark Knight Returns and stuff like that. So he's really good at sort of just dumping ink on the page almost and making things feel really dark and really sort of ominous. Palmer's got a much cleaner line and I, I think it really works well. It's, it's almost, I'm not sure if they chose the inkers because of the type of story, but it works really well actually in terms of making the stories have a different feel. It also is very different in the way that the art is handled. I really like the way that Jansen inked Sinkevich's work of all of the, the people that we've saw because there were I think there was another inker earlier for him as well um, he's by far my favorite um, but and then he'll have other inkers later on that are really good with him as well we'll kind of look at that as we move along here it's interesting because it does get you kind of that sort of international flavor a little bit they're traveling all over the place um, get to do some different things the company is I think Pretty much you can just think of it as an alias for the CIA because later on they talk about him being in the CIA. Um, they just, a lot of times they would use an alias for some of those shadowy government organizations instead. But Yeah, uh, they, they, yeah they've mentioned that he was in the CIA kind of for a little bit and, and that's where, you know, that that's that's who he was working for when he when he was partnered with Rand, his brother, and that sort of thing as well. So it's it's... The other thing I would note is it's really it was really weird and kind of different to me that there was you had this story revolving around Moon Knight's brother Rand in the Hatchet Man and then you had this uh villain ultimately that got mind controlled by by the company and was, you know, forced into mm-hmm. fighting Moon Knight at the end and that was the brother of this old friend that 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 when he was working um for the company that that he was working with so so we basically had back-to-back stories where the you know brothers played a really important role i guess in the in the story and i thought that was 
contrasting because they were different stories, but at the same time, it was it was it was just kind of kind of kind of interesting that they decided to go that route so quickly again. I guess after 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 the Hatchet Man, comics are a dangerous place for relatives. They I think it, <laughs> it gives it gives a writer an easy shorthand to sort sure. of up the the connection between characters and make it more reasonable that they're doing the things they're doing to avenge a brother or to protect a brother or something like that. And so, yeah, it's... you. I think the easiest way to put it is that you see a lot more relatives in Jeopardy and the like in comics than probably is reasonable. So this okay. is not as unusual as it probably should be. Well, we'll see a bunch of we'll see a bunch of other relatives feature prominently too as we move along here. So, the Specter family we're we're not done with them yet by any means. Just uh, okay. stay, stay tuned. There we stay go. Tuned. So all right, so so we've gone through all 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 four stories. I don't recall there being really like. Were there any major characters or places or anything that that we should take note of that are that are things that are going to stick around uh, for for future for future issues? I can't necessarily think of anybody. Um, the really at this point we've sort of started to get the character into a final form where you've got Moon Knight and his primary identities, Lockley, Grant, um, and Spectre. Marlene's there, uh, Frenchie's there, the butler's there, as well as a few other characters and the like. A lot of his backstory is pretty much um, where it's going to be for at least another seven days or so until everything gets blown up and remade. So, okay, um, great. There's a new moon copter, but there's almost always a new moon copter. Uh, it goes through numerous designs over the time. Um, other than that, this was really just more an expansion on the character or a perfection of the character as he already was. You know, they changed the costume a little bit. They've given him a little bit more backstory and, and filled in some things with his family and, and stuff like that. But that's really about it. I think these were just, yeah, more issues to enjoy than something where we had to go in and, and get a bunch of new stuff. So, but I, I do think that this would be looking at the tone that's the really new thing is kind of it moving from being sort of that far more far more all ages friendly type of thing to looking at the idea that maybe moon knight is a character that's going to to play well with the audience that's starting to skew a little older in comics as we hit the 1980s so uh you know we Part, part of this discussion was talking about how some of this may, uh, you know, translate to the television series that, that's coming out later this year. And we actually did uh, get a little bit of news that was that was revealed. Um, we, we tweeted it from our, our Twitter account. There was some villains that were announced uh, that Midnight Man being played by a Gaspard UL you I I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name and then Raul Bushman um so we haven't we haven't seen those two characters yet those villains are not characters that we have seen as of yet yep and and I'm not sure were those 
official official or was that more just a matter of somebody had there's a leak there i don't I know do, if we officially I, know i don't i don't know for cer- certain but i would say was... there's a very good chance that those two characters are the are the two that you'd really expect so we're not okay. we're not surprised by that um i do think that if there's somebody who maybe is a little bit more of a wild card for it but somebody who might come up um, Rand Spector is definitely someone who we could end up needing to know something about for the show. You know, the the brother, that part of the backstory could still easily be something that's worked in. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure exactly uh, how far they they go with that. Hatchet Man is a very interesting villain, though. So if they did want to work something with this story in, they probably could do something that would be pretty disturbing with it. Uh, my one problem with the idea is that Disney Plus and Disney in general might not actually want to deal with a story that is quite as, like you said, Silence of the Lambsy as as this gets. So right. we will we will see. Um, I, I think that that's probably the most likely argument against it is that this actually is maybe yeah. a little inappropriate for Disney. This, the, uh, I I don't think I. I with with a lot of people not knowing who the Moon Knight character is before this television series comes up, if that is the story that you're introduced to the Moon Knight character with, uh, that that might be a bit difficult to swallow for some people, I would imagine. But um, if some of these rumors, I guess, of of the characters coming out are true, there's definitely been some discussion about possibly seeing a a, a trailer sooner rather than later mm-hmm. so we we could be very close to having you know actual footage from from the tv series maybe even a premiere date for the tv show all all coming potentially soon so this so, is so and as a note you're going to yell at me if any of these rumors come anywhere close to true probably because when we talked about this I was like, I think this is probably going to come out later in the spring. So we've got lots of time to talk through all of these. Um, If it actually turns out this thing comes out in February, we're probably not going to get 330 books talked about before it gets there. Um, But that's okay. We'll uh, we'll work on it as we can. We'll be running into the people that you're talking about very soon. Uh, they, They come up early in Moon Knight's uh, first first series um, so probably as early as next week if not the week after you will you will know both of those villains so we are, well let's we are let's look there. ahead to next week and why don't you tell us what is in the in the stack for next week sure so now that we've finished up with um, with Marvel preview number 21 just later that same year, we went directly into Moon Knight's first solo series, which Moon Knight number one comes out in 1980. Same creative team. You've got Mensch, who's the creator of the character, writing it. You've got Sienkiewicz uh, doing the art. Um, he continues to do that art for quite a long time, although there's a few fill-in issues here and there. A lot of times he's inking himself, which takes longer, so he falls a little bit behind. But, and I believe they're also starting to use them for covers and, and things in other places as it becomes obvious just what a talent they have there. But 
What we're going to do next week is cover Moon Knight number 1 through 14. The reason that we're doing that break is that the first 14 issues of the Moon Knight Volume 1 are newsstand issues, and then starting with issue 15, it moves to being a direct sales only title. So next week we get to talk direct sales market and what that is what's going on in the early <laughs> 80s with comics. But so yeah, 14 issues. We're going to talk about really some of the some of the most important early Moon Knights and the stuff that kind of lays down the origin that becomes canon for the rest of the time we're reading. So it's uh you're going to learn the truth next week. Okay. 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 I am looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us again uh, for episode two. Uh, We'd love for you to stick around as we continue this journey through the story of Moon Knight. It sounds like next week it's going to really start to to ramp up. So we would recommend you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice, whether that be Apple, Google, Spotify, whichever. Uh, if you're subscribed, we would love to get some reviews uh, so that other people can find the podcast. You have the you can send us questions or other feedback to the show via email. That is at questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com. And for show updates as well as other announcements or to interact with us on social media, please follow the show on Twitter at phasesofmk. This was a great set of books this week and i am very much looking forward to next week thank you so much for for joining us dan thank you so much for all the awesome information about 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 the show or about the about the books it's been fun this is a yeah great stuff good talking to you about it look forward to continuing with more so we will see you all next week 